We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van So good to see you, my friends. Welcome back to another audio adventure on Insight. I'm CVV, Chris Van Vliet. We are back inside the beautiful Blue Wire Studios at the Wynn Las Vegas. And it's funny because I have a lot of people that will message me and say, oh, that's so cool that you moved to Las Vegas. Well, actually, I, I, I still live in California with my wife, Rachel, our dog, Luna, our baby that is on the way. I'm just in Vegas like a few times a month to do these interviews. We stack them up. We pre-record them. And I mean, if you've ever seen the video version of any of these interviews on my YouTube channel, you know that the studio is unbelievable. It is incredible. So why would you not want to record there? And so happy to have my good friend, Brant Pinvidic joining us in the studio for this one. He's someone that I've wanted to have on the show for a long, long time. He's a super successful Hollywood producer. The guy behind massive TV shows like Bar Rescue and The Biggest Loser and you know, one of the most important things in that Hollywood world is being able to pitch your idea and get it out in a clear and concise manner. So he's now taken that skill of him being able to pitch these TV shows and get them sold and get them put on TV. He now helps anybody who wants to get their message out, not, not just in a clear way, but like get your message out so that people will remember it and be able to pass it along to other people. So he has a best-selling book all about this. It's called The Three-Minute Rule, Say Less to Get More from Any Pitch or Presentation, and I can't recommend it enough. So check out his book on his website. It's brantpinvidic.com. You can also check him out on social media. It's just his name, at brantpinvidic. If you're looking for me, I'm at Chris Van Fleet. and thank you so much to John Jackson 6999 who left this review on Apple Podcasts. It says, awesome. This podcast is literally the best thing I've ever listened to. I just love it so much. And there's a bunch of emojis here, but like literally the best thing you've ever listened to? It's very kind, but it's got to be some sort of hyperbole there, right? Literally the best thing. But in any case, thank you for the kind words. I will read one review on every single episode as my way to say thank you to people like John Jackson who left this review. So if you're listening to the show right now on Apple and you haven't left a review, Leave a few words. We'll read it out on the show. Or if you are listening on Spotify, man, the ratings on Spotify go such a long way. So if you have a second, click those stars and that's it. It's that simple. 
All right, let's do this thing. Please welcome Brant Pinvidic. So good to see you. You too, buddy. Oh, man. I miss you. I miss you too. We've, we've gone on a lot of adventures together. We have. We've had a lot of meals together. We go back. We go back. We, we, go, go, we have things. We have, we have deep connections. And I've been saying for a long time, we actually need to do this podcast. You're such a fascinating so individual. True. You've had an amazing career. <laughs> and here we are. We're doing it. Here we are. So thank you for coming into the studio for this. I try. And you are you're the best dressed guest that we've oh, had. Well, thank you very much. When I'm interviewing, like, you know, when I'm doing like television movie junkets or when I'm doing red carpets, I'm dressed like this. Yes. In the studio, you know, a little bit more laid back. I get it. Listen, it's all about suit by choice, I say. I feel like you have a lot of superpowers. <laughs> well, thank you. Chris. You do. Chris. And I'm you. actually very curious. What do you think is your superpower? Um, I think communication is the big one, being able to understand ideas, being able to convey those ideas to others in a way that they understand, um, effectively has proven over and over again to be, I guess you would call it my superpower. That is what I do better than you know most people in the world. You're so good at getting a big idea and being able to like, and this is the whole thing, the three minute rule. You're so good at taking a big idea and narrowing it down to like, all right, this is the actual thing you're talking about. You've been talking for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. This one line is actually the thing you're talking about. Yeah. And I never would have understood or like explored how valuable that is in the marketplace until you see how hard it is for people to do that. People get yeah. so entrenched in their ideas and what they are doing that they can't see the path to explain it. They don't know how to build a, a foundation of understanding for other people. And so for whatever reason, you know, that skill of mine happens to translate pretty well into a lot of different industries. When did you Got realize, when did you realize you could do this? Uh, you know, it, it, it's not like, it's not like a natural thing. It was, it was developed. It was specifically developed. And I can remember when it really started is after I first moved to Los Angeles and I was in Hollywood, I was going to a big pitch meeting at CBS and I, I you know, I've been in the lobby of CBS and chatting, and waiting for my turn to go into the pitch room yeah. and out walks Simon Cowell. And, oh, well, there's Simon. So he says, hi, we're chatting. And I'm like thinking to myself, oh man, I don't really like to follow Simon Cowell into a pitch meeting. This sucks. And then I see him looking over my shoulder as we're chatting. And I turn around and it's Mark Burnett walks in. Hmm. And I realize like, oh, Mark's got the 330 slot. It means he's going to be pitching after me. And I'm wedged between these two superstars. And I am less than I, I mean, I'm nothing today to them. You could imagine how little I was 15 years ago. And that's the guy ago, right? who created Survivor, Shark yeah. Tank, and so on and so yeah, on. Yeah, one of the stuff. greatest producers of all time. Of course. So I just caught almost like a wave of panic. And the idea was like, hey, I... I, I can't be in this room yipping and yapping and trying to impress the president of the network. They don't really care about me. I got to get in and out of here. And we went in there and my, we we're talking and then we little chit chat. And I was in and out of that room. Pitch the show. Here's what the show is. Here's why we think it's good for CBS. Here's how we're going to make it. Here's the budget. And that was it. And I got out of the room. I think it was like nine and a half minutes total. And my agent was like, that was like one of the best pitches I've ever heard. I was wow. like, what? He's like, oh, it was so clear. It was so crisp. It was so effective. You have to do that from now on. I was like, mm, okay. So I started doing it a little bit and we sold the show to CBS, by the way. And so we ended up, I ended up doing that a little bit more often where I would just get to the point, like literally just get to the point. And I started to get this reputation around Hollywood as one of the best pitch producers in the business. And I remember thinking like, you know, I'm not trying very hard. Like, I'm not really doing a lot of stuff out of the box. And so when I honed that skill to be like, okay, strip all the other crap away. What is the simplest, clearest message here? Mm. Once you just start doing that, then I could add other flair, cool elements, things that sort of like were more dynamic 
And that's sort of how the reputation grew. And so, so it went from there. So let's take it back. Uh, I always love talking to fellow Canadians. In fact, <laughs> we just had a fellow Canadian in here right before. It was Murray the Magician, who's a, uh, he has a show at the Tropicana. And you do that thing where you're like, oh, you know, all these other famous Canadians and you name off like right. all of them. Where does the story begin for you? Uh, it's in Canada. I'm running a nightclub. Okay. Terribly. <laughs> and I couldn't keep people in the bar on Sundays after football. They would just flock out of the bar as soon as the games were over. And that used to bug me. And I used to have to come up with ideas to do how to keep them in the bar. So I came up with these ridiculous bar games that I would play and give free drinks and get people to do. And I, people would do dumb stuff when they think there's a prize on the line. Like they did especially really free alcohol. Stuff. Yeah, it was crazy. And so after I lost the bar, I moved back to my hometown in Victoria. I was goofing around and I just couldn't figure out what to do with my life. And I was talking to my, one of my buddies who happened to own a bar. And so I was telling him about these bar games that we used to do. And he said, we should do that as a, as a thing at the bar. And so we, before podcasting was a thing, we were going to do it as like a radio talk show idea from the bar after hours kind of thing. Yeah. And it was before technology was advanced enough that you could really stream it. Like it's, it was happening streaming, but yeah. the very first night we couldn't get it streaming on the internet and we couldn't take calls. So we just pretended. So it's like you and I sitting here, yeah, but yeah. there's nothing going on. Well, everybody in the bar lost their minds. They thought it was the greatest thing ever, right? And they, were, did, they used to do dumb stuff for free drinks. They did really dumb stuff when they thought they were on the radio. So then we got the idea like, well, what if we did this as a TV show? Then people would go, boom, 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 boom. And so we you know, pretended effectively we were going to shoot this pilot for a TV show idea. And we did. And then I couldn't sell it in the United States. I, could, I tried. I tried to sell it everywhere. Couldn't sell it in Canada. Couldn't sell it anywhere. I was just like, why does nobody want my show? And so I thought, oh, well, I don't have the show finished. So I went across Canada and did that same show in bars across the country. Wow. And I thought, okay, well, now that I have the show, now they'll have to buy it. And the yeah. Canadian, one of the, I mean, I remember her, I don't want to out her, but this woman who ran Much Music, which is the MTV of Canada. I, th I believe I had a meeting with her. Yeah. <laughs> Basically said, well, thank God. Thank God for her. Like I tell you, the people who tell you no and are the worst to you sometimes give you the best possible like outcome. And she basically says, you're an idiot. This is not what we do. We can't, I'm not buying your stupid show because this is like an American show. It doesn't qualify for any Canadian points. It's not a documentary about Aboriginals that was shot 200 uh, miles from a city center. Like those are the most points. That's what I buy. Mm. And then I get the Canadian content points yeah. as much as I can for as few hours as I can. Then I buy friends for $80,000 an episode. Why would I buy your stupid show? Like, get out of here. Don't ever call me again. And so I went to the United States and I was like, I just have to beg and find, and I found a producer who would listen and they found a producer because they saw the stuff and that's how it just exploded from there. Wow. And the United States, much different than Canada. They were like, this is really impressive what you've done. What you've been able to do here is impressive. We see potential. What was it called? Uh, originally it was called Party Quest. And then it was, then when we sold it to NBC, they called it King of Vegas. And then it never got made. It, we sold it as a pilot. You should make this now. I know. No, I'm done with TV. You are? Yeah. What was the first? So, you know, I think we're kind of jumping all over the place here, but then you move to Hollywood, you start pitching TV shows, yeah. you become a prolific producer, and you produce some of the biggest shows on TV and pitch some yeah, of the biggest lucky. shows on TV. Yeah. yeah. Give us like three of the biggest ones. So, you know, for me, Bar Rescue is probably the biggest one. Um, you know, John Taffer was big 
big hit and he was great. And that was, you know, a lot of luck getting that through. And he's a huge talent. You know, you can pitch that show and have it do well. So but we did that. We did Extreme Makeover Weight Loss Edition, which is a big show as well. Um, my company, The Biggest Loser. Like, so we've had some good, we've had some good runs. What was the first big hit that kind of set things off from there? I mean, it wasn't as much as the big hits because I had lots of cable hits that like Intervention was a big hit. Growing Up Gaudy was a big hit. But it's like, it really wasn't, the fact that they become a big hit is really the people who actually produce them. Like, I just come up with the ideas or I just manage them or I'm just running the company. Like, Intervention is fascinating. I know. Like, and here's the thing, like, fascinating. you know, it depends on who I'm talking to. People will be like, oh, you created that show? And it's like, sure, whatever. Like, yes, no, maybe so. Nobody cares. I want to pause you for a second. How do you come up with the idea for intervention? Oh, I didn't come up with the idea for intervention. Okay. No, no, it's just, it happened. I, again, I was running the company that I got one of the producers came up, the network wanted to develop it. it. It grows into that, right? Like that's how the, that's how the TV world works. You come up with an idea and then 57,000 people get involved. Right. And if every single thing in the world goes right, it gets on the air. And then if the four things that didn't go right, start to go right, it might rate and you might get a hit. Right. Right. So, but for me, like the one that set apart was an old school one called Princes of Malibu on Fox. We did that. Yeah. Which was a big, that was a big show. Um, it, you know, it didn't, it didn't rate, but it was big to get it on the air. And so then I, once I started selling shows like that, it just like cascaded and I sold hundreds of TV shows. What, what was the original idea behind? Was it Biggest Loser first or Extreme Weight, uh, Extreme? Biggest Loser was the, was the very first weight loss show that ever went. And it was like, it, you know, and that was a, a, an amalgamation of a couple of ideas that the network had. They never wanted to do it. Then, you know, a guy named Ben Silverman kind of convinced them. Then they had to find somebody to produce it, which was J.D. Roth and the company I was running. And then I came in there and I remember saying to the guys like, shouldn't we be doing a ton of weight loss shows now that this is a huge hit? And so that's when we did Extreme Makeover Weight Loss. And then I did probably another 12 or 13 weight loss shows after that. I, I could see a network going, I don't know if we want to watch people lose weight. Like, Well, the story, the interesting story is that when the first season of Biggest Loser, they, we did get a restaurant and they had, they made us pay to have the signs painted so that no one would know what restaurant it was at when we were filming. That's season one. And I think by season three or five, we were filming in the White House. And so <laughs> it, it, it was, people didn't want it at first. I think the fascinating thing about that part of your career is you're very much an ideas guy. Yeah. And you can look at an idea and immediately go, yeah, that could be something. That could be something. Yeah. Or you go, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah. No, well, and it, so in my development office and in life, for anybody listening, you know, your success will be dictated by the things you choose not to work on. Right. Like that is that people, most people are paralyzed by options and they can get a lot of ideas or a lot of things to the one yard line, I say. And anything, every idea could almost be a TV show. And that's what I tell my development team. Anything could be almost a TV show. That's not what we're in the business of. We only have so many hours in the day. You only have so many things you can spend money and time and energy on. If you pick the wrong ones, it will cause you great pain and failure. If you pick the right ones, it isn't even about picking the right ones, just not picking the wrong ones. Yeah. The right ones will find their way through. You'll always find something to work. But it's picking the wrong ones that I find is the, is the most difficulty for people is they pick the wrong thing because they think it, it's sort of close. So what do you think it is that prevents people from crossing over? You know, they've gone 99 yards. They can't go that one extra yard. Reasonable probability of success. I teach this to school. Like I teach, um, I speak at schools and colleges for free across the country. Um, because I think it's just a, an absolute shame that, you know, the, the curriculum that we teach in our public and private schools is atrocious. And anybody in the industry should be embarrassed that this is what we still do. Like, we don't teach entrepreneurship. We don't teach financial literacy. None of those things. It's just gross. 
So I teach entrepreneurial things to any school that wants me to come there. And the one thing I ask the kids every time is, do you believe that you can be anything you set your mind to? And they all raise their hand, yes. And it's like, who the hell is feeding you these terrible ideas? That is not true. Like, it is not true. Anything you set your mind to, you should do. But, and anything you can do, you should set your mind to. But it doesn't mean because you set your mind to it, you're going to be able to do that. Mm. You know, and, and, I, and, I, and I'll show a clip from Lady Gaga winning her Academy Award. And she's in tears and she's saying like, don't let people tell you no and don't let people tell you you can't do it. And people told me that I was never going to make it. I just kept pushing through. And, and then I finally, here I am. And I was like, what are you doing? Why are you telling people this? She's one of the greatest performers of all time. Yeah. And people told her no. So guess what? If you aren't already one of the greatest performers, like the odds of you making it to Lady Gaga success are zero. So don't listen to her. That's the worst advice you could possibly get. It's like, that's not real. So you're just crushing the dreams of young Americans. You know what? I'm okay with that because, and I wrote an article for Forbes. Like that's like, sometimes no is the right answer. Like listening to your inner voice and saying like, I can do it anyways, when everything else is telling you no is a terrible idea. And you have to know the difference between, you know, self-doubt and situational doubt. And those are very different, right? And that's where people... And a lot of the people I train and coach, I teach them to understand those differences. Self-doubt is self-defeating. Situational doubt is self-protecting. Mm. And that's really important. So you get this skill of like being able to figure out what a great idea is, and what's not a great idea. You pitch some incredible television programs. How do you realize you can start applying that to businesses? Well, it was funny because I was in a deluxe hotel in Los Angeles and I had family in town and it was late night we'd been drinking. And Spike had just passed on a brilliant show idea. And so I was pitching that show to one of my uncles. And he was like, oh my God, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard. And I was like, yes, I know. And I was like, wait, I got another one. And I was pitching another idea. What is idea. it? I, I can't remember. I got so many of them. I can't even describe to you how many bad, bad decisions are made when my wonderful shows aren't pitched. But so I pitch him another one and another one, right? And he's like, these are the greatest thing ever. And my ego is filling up and I needed the upswing, you know? And I'm very animated. I'm standing up and I'm pitching. And so, and everybody's had a few drinks. And then a guy comes over and definitely not a local, you know, and he comes and says, hey, I've been watching you. It's kind of amazing watch you. Can you teach my clients to do what you do? Wow. And I was like, no, I can't teach people to sell TV. Like, get out of here. And he's like, no, no, no. Can you teach my clients to pitch their ideas without putting people to sleep? And I was like, I don't know. I have no idea. So we happen to be in Florida at the same time, different conferences. He's a huge investment banker that run these big investment conferences, oil and gas, biotech, blah, blah, blah. And he says, will you come by and like meet one of my guys? Yeah. And we're, we're out. He's terrible. So I go down, I go down there. I meet, it's an oil and gas company. It's a $2 billion oil and gas company. He's a CEO. He gets up, presents his, what his company is and pitches why you should be wanting him to get involved. It's 23 minutes long or whatever it is. And it was the worst thing I'd ever heard in my life. The worst pitch I'd ever heard. I've never heard anything like that. I was like, oh my God. And they're like, what do you think, Brad? And I was like, ah, uh, I, I think I have to watch it again and I'll take some better notes. But yeah. So we pitched it again later this afternoon. And I went up to Abner and said, hey, is it, did you say that you could still drill for oil at $31 a barrel when everybody else is laying their rigs down at 37? Like, did, is that what I heard? He's like, yeah. And I was like, it took you 17 minutes to mention that? Like, <laughs> maybe we could move that up. And so I redid some of his slides. And, uh, and, you know, begged me like, hey, can you redo my entire presentation? I was like, I got a job. 
He flew out to Los Angeles. Over the weekend, I helped him in a hotel room, ballroom or whatever. And he left a voicemail on my, on my phone. And he was in, almost in tears. And he just said, you changed my life. I've never felt like this. I used to hate going on the road, raising money. Now I'm so excited. I'll never forget what you've done for me. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, no network president has ever said anything like that to me before. They don't even say thank you. And you know, like you and me, we're one chromosome away from being a caveman. It's just like, <laughs> I'm just like, my ego is like, Brad, oh, and so I asked the investment banker, got any other people? And it's like, you want to make friends with an investment banker? You just make him some money. And so they, those guys completed their raise. He's like, yeah, I got other terrible clients that can't pitch. Can you help them? What's the biggest mistake that most of them make? They try to tell you everything they know all at once. And what's the thing that you teach them? I teach them how to lay the foundation of understanding. So if you think about what we do in Hollywood as storytellers, what we've always, what people always know in the pitch world and the sales world is the sort of state and prove method. Chris, would you like to eat anything you want and still lose weight? And you're like, oh, yes, I would. Let me tell you more, right? I'm going to state something big that you want. And then I will explain it to you and prove that I can do it. And if we had a time machine and we can go back to 1987, that would work amazingly well. But picture yourself in an elevator, an elevator pitch, and someone says, hey, um, Chris, I have an investment that could make you 10 times your money by the end of the year. <laughs> do you lean in and be like, ooh, tell me more? Yeah. Or do you lean out and go like, oh, God, total crap, right? Like, right. we recoil from that now as an audience. We're so used to it. And so what I teach is called the inform and lead method. It's what Hollywood's been doing for a hundred years, right? We're going to, I'm going to take you through the details piece by piece to build your understanding so that you will be led to the conclusion. You will start to understand, oh, wait, so you can make, I can make 10 times my money by the end of the year after I explain it to you. And you think about it. And I, I use this on stage all the time where I'll show a picture of the Titanic. And it's like, does anybody know what happens to this boat? And like everybody in the world knows. So why are you sitting in a the theater for three hours to watch a movie about a boat that you know sinks, yeah. right? It's yeah. Because we tell the story, right? If you're, and if you're looking at my favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption, we don't, we don't start the movie be like, Andy Dufresne escapes from this horrifying prison. Spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Right? Such a good movie. Right? Uh, we don't start with that. Like, oh, he's gonna, he escapes. Let me tell you why, right? Like we lead you through the characters, the understanding, the emotion, piece by piece. So at the very end of the movie, doesn't matter how many times you've watched it, you're like, please, he's, I can't wait for him to escape, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of where I, I retrain people. So. Your book is called The Three-Minute Rule. book is called Three-Minute Rule. How did you determine that it's three minutes? Well, we used to do that in the edit bay, right? Like every scene had to resolve within three minutes. I, I'll use the example like when I do on stage with Shark Tank. Yeah. You know, somebody comes in to pitch an idea. Almost every pitch is three minutes. That's right. And yeah. it's like, that's, that's a three-hour session, right? Yeah. And they boil it down to almost exactly three minutes. Because it's like you, there's a ton of science behind it. But we as human beings, we process information in sort of these three key categories, right? We conceptualize we contextualize, and then we actualize. So once we understand the concept, that's the first thing I need to know. What is this? What's going on? What are we doing? Then I understand the context, which is like, okay, how does this relate to me? And then I actualize, which is like, do I want to get involved? What's my next move? That's what we do. To, you know, you can decide what you're going to wear for dinner tonight or whether we're going to go to war with some other country. <laughs> it's the same exact decision-making process. It's interesting, and you point this out in the book, like if you were to go out to dinner tonight. Yeah. And then tomorrow your friend goes, oh, how was dinner last night? Your summary of dinner is probably going to be about three minutes. At the, mo and at I the do very this, most. And in my, in my seminars, I'll do this as a clear example. I'll get people to come up and pitch me their favorite movie. 
and it was like, tell me every detail, everything. Just t- walk me through yeah, the whole yeah. thing. It's like, you don't get the three minutes. That's so true. You know what I mean? It's like, this is a movie you've seen 50 times. You yep. love it more than anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Or I'll have people close their eyes and you at home, you can do this as well. It's like, and I'll ask them, I'll be like, I want you to answer this question. Why do you live in the house you live in? Why did you buy that house? Why did you choose that house? Mm. Okay, then ask yourself why that's important. Why, does, why, that, why that neighborhood? Why this, right? Yep. You're talking about the biggest purchase in your entire life. Sure. And you will explain it to yourself in your own head in like four sentences that have no adjectives, no descriptors, nothing. And it's like, you know, and when I tell people to close their eyes and do that, and the funny thing is I did this in New York on stage and I tell everybody in the audience, hey, close your eyes. I want you to answer these questions. And, and so it's like, I, I had forgotten that like to tell people to open their eyes. So there's people like five minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes later. And then in New York, I used to do cars. Like, tell me why you drive the car you drive, right? Yeah. And which seemed like a good idea. Except, Except nobody, for drives nobody in New York drives, right? So, yeah. But the idea is like, you could explain the biggest decisions of your entire life in three sentences. So if you can do that for your biggest thing, like why wouldn't I do that when I'm explaining to you something that's mm. important, right? And that's just, that's the key to pitching, presenting communication in a, in a modern world. So often in Hollywood, we'll see like, well, it's like Jaws, except it's on a bus. Right. And what's interesting about that is now we have a frame of reference for both of those things. Right. As silly as that is, it's like, that is, I mean, I, I teach that process, right? The what meets what process. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you've got to be able to at least explain that. And, and again, listening, if I pitched you the amazing race yep. for the smartest people in the world, mm. right? Like you yeah. kind of get an idea. It's like, okay, well, the amazing race is a so bunch it's of- It's like new- Amazing Race in Jeopardy? Right? Like, it's like, yeah. it's, the, it's, it's the most, yeah, the Amazing Race is the most nitwit people. Well, matter if you have the smartest people, what would they do? And it's like, then when I tell you, it's like, a group of MIT graduates, a group of John Deere Boeing engineers doing, instead of simple IKEA building projects, it's massive challenges. I'm sold. Right? Like now you're, you're two, three sentences in, pretty well everybody kind of can picture what the TV show looks like. And then what I try to explain is imagine pitching that to a professional TV producer who's running a TV network, who's produced more TV than I have. Do I need to say a lot more than that? Like, no, he's kind of got the idea. Now let's get into the nitty gritty that makes it different. Why aren't you pitching TV shows anymore? I'm already sold. <laughs> um, to be honest, it lost its luster for me. Huh. TV was, uh, was, a, was an outlet for me to be successful. And growing up in Canada, you know, all I wanted to do was be successful in Canada is like a thumb or a grip on your throat trying to strangle you from being successful every day is what it and it was just a difficult process. And all I wanted to do was be accepted. All I wanted to do was find my place and my people. And it, I, I couldn't find that in Canada. And when I came to Los Angeles, that was my people. That's what made sense. And, and you're able to do everything you want to do. Like this is yeah. when, we, when we first became friends, right? When I first moved to LA three years ago, you were like, oh yeah. So yeah, that's my background. I do all that pitching stuff. I've got this book. That's all great. Yeah. I've also got this adventure club and we like, we do the craziest things in the world and ah, why don't you join us sometime? Yeah. And you're talking about like swimming with sharks and like hella skiing. I mean, yeah. give us some more of the things. That- yeah, we do. We do. Here's the thing. We do just fun, interesting, really great sort of weekend type adventures, right? So well, do, no, a lot of these. Ca- car rally. A lot of these are like biking. bucket list items. Yeah. Most yeah. of them are. Yeah. Yeah. We went glacier kayaking. Yeah, we've done a lot of crazy cool. And that's the thing I love about you is that no one can tell you no. No, no. Because here's the thing, like, you know, I got to a point where it, 
you know, you do well, you know, things go well, you make some money, you've got that part of your life sort of somewhat taken care of. You get a little bit older. My kids are a little bit older. I used to be very, very important to everything that they were doing. And then you lose a little bit of that. And same thing in television. It's like, once you get a few shows in the air and your IMDb credit, you know, scrolls a few pages, it's like, well, what are you doing now? You're not spending the money you're making. I'm chasing deal to deal to just get paid a little bit more. It's just like, I just ran out of the joy. And, you know, I probably told you a story when I was driving down the 405 in traffic and some guy had jet skis on the back of his, his uh, truck. And I was like, I haven't been jet skiing in like 10 years. Like, why not? It's like, right, because my friends, not only do they not have jet skis, my friends don't even own pickup trucks in Los Angeles, yeah. right? Like, and I got so angry was like, when am I going to jet ski again? Like, this is crazy. Like, all I do is work and, and chase relationships and all the crap that comes with Hollywood. And so I rented five jet skis that weekend and I sent emails out and I had like 30 people want to come. And I was like, well, where were you guys with your jet ski wanting, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting because the head of CBS had emailed me, said, oh, I wish I could have gone jet skiing that weekend. I love that idea. Let me know when you're going again. And you know, like yeah. my job is to try to get in with the guy at CBS. So I was like, I'm going next weekend, Tom. Like, <laughs> and so I rented five more jet skis. And then it was like, well, what else do I want to do? Well, I like to go off-roading. Okay, well, we'll go rent a bunch of dune buggies. And, and so it became a way for me to be important and give people experiences and produce some joy for people, which I, in my sort of insecure, narcissistic way, love being the center of attention. And so I do it by doing benevolent, fun things. That works. And it just gave me a, an excuse to find more things in life that were bigger, better, bolder experiences that I could feel like I won the weekend. You know? Do you have anything left on your bucket list? I mean, honestly, there's very little. Like, there's very I little. I would imagine. We're going, this year, we were tried to do it yesterday, but the, the, the weather didn't, but we're going to go kite skiing this year. So it's like, uh, you know, kite surfing, yeah, but yeah. with skis. So that's one I've been really wanting to do. Man. Like I really wanted to do that. So um, most of the other stuff, it's like we've done a version of it now. And like, I don't do, I don't do like high impact, like base jumping or skydiving. Like I'm not into that level of adrenaline. I'm more in the experiential side. So we've like whitewater rafted all over the place and caught every kind of fish you could think of. It's the new year, which means new habits for a lot of people. Maybe you want to lose some weight. Maybe you want to eat a little bit better. Well, if you're looking to eat better and save money this year, cut back on those expensive takeout meals and get started with HelloFresh. You'll love how fast, easy, and affordable it is to whip up some restaurant-quality meals right from your own kitchen. And they've got so many different options, so much flavor, and they're perfect size portions ready in less than 15 minutes so you can have taste and quality done quick with recipes like falafel power bowls seared steak and potatoes mm, or southwest pork and bean burritos they've got a lot of different options of like meal types you can have meat and veggies family friendly quick and easy i'm on the fit and wholesome meal and my wife rachel and i love cooking up these meals because you open up the box and everything you need is right in there. So no more trips to the grocery stores. No more asking, what do you want to eat tonight? I don't know. What do you want to eat tonight? Because you just open up the box and boom, it's right there. So go to hellofresh.com slash insight22 and use the code insight22 for 22 free meals plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com slash insight22 Use the code INSIGHT22 for 22 free meals plus shipping. 
HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'll never forget when I called you, I don't know, would have been about two years ago, and you're like, so I uh, just bought an RV, and yeah. me and the family are going to drive around and go to every 40, all 48 states. Yeah. Well, listen, that is what? it. It's a great lesson. And, and a lot of my clients, and this, you know, I do a lot of consulting for major sports teams on high performance and mindset and all that kind of stuff. And that's one of the things that I've been talking a lot about is the idea that the commitments that people feel they're making to be better, to do better, are not as big as you make it out to be, right? Like, you know, Chris came on a very, very big adventure with me up to go canyoneering at the Seven Teacups, which is one of the premier sort of repelling canyoneering water sort of establishments that you can possibly go to. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Right? But it's like, it, it's, a, it's a huge commitment to say yes to that. It's big to do. But in reality, it's like, it's a weekend. You come up and that you do it. That was a day trip. Yeah, it was a day. And it was amazing, right? Like, And you were such a, a prolific guide. Oh, thank you. Like, I'm like, I'm basically leaving my life in your hands here. And you're like, yeah, don't worry. Just do this thing. And yeah. you were right. And so. And the water was like 38 degrees. Yeah, it was cold. That was a cold. That was cold. Um, but, you know, when we did the RV, the thing was, is like, I was going to, I was going to go for six months, go for all 48 states yeah. in an RV. I don't, I'm not a camping guy. I'm not an RV guy. I have a life, as you know, like relatively active yeah. in general. And so it's like, I'm just going to pick up and leave for six months and just drive around. And I, like, it was so crazy. And I remember when we left the driveway, I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. But in reality, it's like, I was less than 48 hours away from taking the RV to the local dealer and be like, buy it back, hopping on a plane and showing up back at home. Sure. Like, it felt like a huge commitment. But in reality, as I realized like, wait, all I'm out to do is to enjoy life, have experience, do well. And if at any point this doesn't meet that standard, I can just go back. And that's what I say to people when they're thinking about moving or going, trying something else. Or, you know, I have a, a buddy who is trying to convince his wife to go live on a boat for a couple of years in Florida. And I was like, 
yeah, go do it. And if you don't like it, sell the boat. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's been hard for people um, lately is they get, they get really good at one thing. And that usually is their work. With I, who I train, it's usually work. They're good on the court. They're good in the field. Yeah. And everything else in their life, they're kind of average at. They're mundane. And so instead of working on those areas, because that's not fun. I don't like working on things that I'm mundane at, right? I like working at things that I'm awesome at. Yeah. And we're all the same. And so what I try to show people is that, hey, you can be as good having fun recreational moments with friends, family, adventures as you, as you are at the office. It isn't a vacation from your life. It should be part of it. Yeah. And that's what the, the travel club is, which is, oh, you know, as you know, I run it all nonprofit. It's yeah. literally just for fun and adventure, just so I can have go people to play with. It's an interesting concept, an inc- interesting idea to say, like, go try something. Yeah. If it doesn't work out, that was just a few days, weeks, months, yeah. maybe a year or two of your life. Yeah. But that doesn't define who you are. No. And it, it's, it, so many people are held back by that and they're waiting for the right moment. They're waiting for the right moment to start a book, to start a podcast. They're waiting for the right moment to get a side hustle. They're waiting for the right moment to write a book. They're like, they're waiting for something to happen. And I went through that myself, right? Like I wanted to write this book, but I was already having like, you know, very large clients, like a fortune 500 clients. And I was like, I, if I just do a little bit better then I'll be, I'll be good enough to write this book. Right. And what you realize in life is, is it's not who's the most qualified. It's not who's ready. It's who puts up their goddamn hand and says, that's me. I'm doing it. There are a thousand TV producers with better credits, better history, more success that could have written this book. And do you know how many of them did? None. So like I did it and I'm the guy. And now that's, I'm the expert. And they now come to me for stuff. And it's like, yeah, well, you could have done it too. Now, maybe they didn't want to. I'm just saying like, yeah. that's where people in. And I, and I had so many people from the television and film industry come to me after the book came out and I left the industry and I started doing this all, you know, full-time effectively. And basically ask me how they get out of the business. Because, <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't feel like they have marketable skills. Like if you're a doctor, I get it. You can go but like yeah. for most people, they don't feel like their skills are transferable. Mm. And it's because they just have a very myopic view of where their world fits for them. You know how many people reached out to me when I left the day-to-day of television yeah. in 2019 to focus on content creation, podcasting, YouTube? So many of my friends yeah. and colleagues who still work in local television or just work in television in general would reach out and say, I see what you're doing. How can I do that too? I know. Isn't that crazy? It's fascinating. It's also, there's also something to this. It's the idea of when you start doing something, people will start to see you in that way. And I'll never forget because I met you in 2020 in the heart of the pandemic. We were going on these adventures. I knew you as Adventure Brand. (laughs) And here you are as Suit Brand sitting in front of me. Professional Brand, yeah. And you said like, oh yeah, like I I made a decision in my career that I was going to wear tailored suits and I was going to look great no matter where I was going. That's right. All day, every day. I said like, when you go to meetings and stuff, you said, no, no. When I'm going to like the kids baseball game, when I go to the restaurant, like I'm going to wear a suit all the time. All the time. I'm like, all the time? Yeah. All the time. And you said, you know, I, I would think maybe after like six months or a year, people start to go, you're the suit guy. And you said it was within like a few weeks. It was literally, it was almost, because that's what I thought. I thought. If I did a year, then it would be part of the description. You know, Brant, tall, good looking, wears a suit, right? <laughs> Kind of looks like Will Arnett. Yeah, exactly. Um, and <laughs> it was so fast. And there are people today still who haven't seen me outside of it. But it's suit by choice. And you know, when you see someone in a suit by choice, you know. 
And it was before How I Met Your Mother, Barney Stinson, any of that came. I, I, was, I was there before. But what I'm saying in yes. that is that can also be your identity for anything that you want it to anything. be. Yeah. Use brand suit as that. Yeah, you, know? you could do you could do that in any part of your life. Like if I, you make a commitment to doing something different, that could be your identity. And it can also change. If you have an identity right now that you're not loving, like it changes fast. Yes. It changes so fast. We live in such a day and age right now with, you know, we're being inundated with technology and in, or information all the time. Yeah. That I feel like if you were to make a stand today and make a decision today and go, I want to be an expert on whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah. You could then start speaking about it on your social media. You could make a podcast about it. Yeah. You could write a book about it. And within about 18 months, you're probably going to be an expert about it. That's right. And it, if not less. And the reason why more people don't do that is not because it's not available. It's not because they don't have the skill. It's not because there isn't an easy way to do it. It's because they have limiting beliefs mm-hmm. in that they could actually pull it off. And what they, what, I mean, again, like train this a lot is like, if you start and you don't like it, you can always undo it. You don't have to, like, nothing is that big of a commitment. Yeah. You know? And I think for me, the big twist for me is like, after I got out of the, the rat race of like chasing money all the time, right? And it was actually Tony Robbins who, who got me off that mode because we were talking about, I was saying I wanted to get out of television, but I was in the middle of a big deal. And I had a new deal on the table. I hope Tony doesn't listen to this because I'm going to tell a little secret, but I had a big deal on the table. And then I, you know, in midst, Tony and I were friends and I, I told him, I was like, I don't want to do this TV business anymore. This, I want this to be my last pitch, but I got one more deal and it's a lot of money. So I got to do it. And if you tell Tony Robbins, you're doing something for the money, oh, is he on you? You know what I mean? Like, and he gets you pumped up. I can do anything. Right. And so I'm telling him, you're right, Tony, I am going to quit. It's a, I'm going <laughs> to follow my dream. That's what I'm going to do, Tony. But then. I'm, a, I'm looking at the offer. I'm like, ooh, that's going to be tough. To turn down, right? <laughs> and the company and I were pretty far apart in what I wanted, what they wanted to pay me. We were quite a ways apart. There was a yeah. lot of haggling to do, but you kind of know that it'll probably end up in the middle, right? And I was like, oh, I think I probably have to do that. Yeah. And so I was, he could hear me hesitating. And he's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And I just said like, Tony, it's a lot of money. Like I got to pay. And he's, so he had me do this exercise where I, basically showed him my net worth and he looked at me and he was talking to me about how I process everything. And he's like, oh yeah, well you live like a poor person. Like the, your mentality, that's what you do. Like that's not how rich people act. We, we don't look at everything on a month to month. Like this is just, this is just total amateur hour of what you do. I was like, what? And so he got me in a different frame of mind. Now the funny part is, is that I was actually coming up with lies in my mind of like, what I'm going to tell Tony when I take this deal, right? Because I don't want to disappoint the guy. Yeah. So I'm trying to come up with ways. Oh, they, they, uh, they made it non-exclusive, Tony. I don't have to do it. Or like, I couldn't come up with anything. Anyways, the company actually called me back and said, hey, we're too far apart. I think it's better if we part ways. Wow. And so then I called Tony and be like, you can't believe it, Tony. They offered me triple. And I still said no because <laughs> I need it, right? But it was like the moment where I was like, all right, I'm never looking at my day-to-day, my monthly bill. Like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm looking at life years at a time and I'll figure it out. And when I was out of TV and I sold enough books, like, I don't need to sell any more books. I don't have a product to sell. Like, you can't go and buy anything from me right now. And it's been like that for a couple of years. So when you're in the world where you're like, I don't have anything to sell you. I don't have anything to to get anything out of you. If we have a relationship, like there's, you know, like I, I helped you with some of the stuff you were doing and yeah. people you were looking at, connecting you with people. And it's like, there's nothing for you to buy from me, Chris. There's nothing 
for us to exchange other than our relationship and that capital. And I realized that when I started trading that and genuinely doing things like the travel club and the sort of the free stuff I do, everything else changes. Then all of a sudden financially, like it's the stupidest thing to say, but it's like when you stop worrying about it, it gets better. Like I've had really good years because of not doing, not trying to do stuff. It's because there's other things in life that have such a huge impact on the people around you. And focusing on that a little bit more will help everything else in your life. There's going to be people listening to this going, can I join this travel club? Yes, you can. It's called rejectaverage.com. And you're still accepting new yeah. people? Okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not difficult. I mean, I like, I like good people. So if you're a good person, you like to do fun stuff. Yeah, good people only. Yeah, good people only. Um, but yeah, I do stuff all the time. A lot of it, there's two sort of things. There's adventures that I'll put together that people can go on. And then there's like, Brandt is going on an adventure. Who wants to join? And not to say anything, but those are the more fun ones. I still need to swim with sharks. That keeps <laughs> getting canceled. Yeah, maybe that might be a tough one to get back on. Oh, no. Yeah, what do you mean? There's a lot of ecological problems uh, in Mexico surrounding the shark viewing. to swim with some great whites. We did the great whites. Yeah, I got the most incredible video I've ever seen. But if, it, if that opens up again, We'll know this year if it opens up this year. I want to be, be the first, first on my person list. you call. First on my list. Great socks, by the way. How did I not notice these? Well, I'll tell you something. I'm, well, I'm not surprised person. you don't notice it because women notice things. Men don't. I learned that too when I started dressing. Is mm. that all the things I didn't care about, like the collar, like you see the collars, stiff collar, yeah. cuff links, belts, ties, yeah, yeah. shoes. You've got the monogram here. Yeah. These yeah. are little things that only women really notice, which is good because that's. I, I also am a fun game. sock wearer. Oh, look at that. These are pretty fun. Yeah, those are pretty huh. fun. Yeah, I like that. And I think for me was when I got my first American television job. Yeah. My boss sat me down because at first he was just like, yeah, you know, whatever you've been wearing on TV, that, that's great. Uh, when I was working in Toronto and I came there and I was like <laughs> wearing a t-shirt with like a blazer and jeans or something. And then about a month in, calls me into his office and he, he'd ripped out some pages from GQ magazine. And he goes, I'd like you to be more like this. I said, oh, I, but I really like wearing what I'm wearing. He's like, yeah, I just think that this would be, this a, would be a better, look. this would be a better look. Yeah. And I went, all right, great. So if I'm going to wear suits, you know, up here, I wanted something down like my socks or my suit liner where I could go. It's still me. Still you. And that's kind of stuck. I like that. Well, this listen, I mean, it, you are a shining example, right? Like if you work hard, you'll get lucky. Like that's the thing that I try to explain to the kids. Like, the the luckiest people I know are the hardest working people I've met. Well, what's that phrase? It's uh, it's funny. The harder I work, the luckier I get. That's exactly right. You know, and it's and I say like, you just keep working hard enough, you'll be an overnight success. <laughs> you know, and then people will come up and be like, oh my god, you're so lucky because they are they're looking at your highlight reel as their treasure map, mm. and that's a huge problem. And I have to I try to deprogram these kids from that. It's like you cannot look at Taylor Swift or Ed Sheeran or LeBron James, or any people that you see there and be like, that's the roadmap to success. It's not. That is, that is not a treasure map. It doesn't but work like that. What if, a highlight you, what if you were to take a little bit from Ed Sheeran, a little bit from Taylor Swift, you saw LeBron do this, and you kind of learned from all their stories, made it your own? It, listen, if you can do that, that's fantastic, right? The problem is, is you don't know what you can do. And like, here's a great example. You know Alex Hermosi. Mm -hmm. he's kind of blown up on social media, yeah. right? And he's giving, and he gives great advice. But the difference is, is when you look at him, look at his arms, okay? 
Look at his arms. You tell me, do you have arms like that? A guy who could have arms like that is someone who has an exceptional set of skills and determination and focus. And so the advice he's saying works for him because he's a guy who can build arms like that, right? And so you at home, if you don't have those skills, using his advice is very difficult to do, right? You could build arms like him. Could you? If it was, of course. Really? Eat more, lift lots of weights. Sure. If you had the right uh, nutrition and coaching and time. Yeah. Yeah. Except that's not the way the real world works. Okay. The real world works. We all know how to look like that. We all know how to be Chris Svelte. My right? arms don't look like that. They're pretty bloody good. <laughs> Holy crap. Is, they're good. This is really not, this shirt is not fitting me anymore. It's pretty good looking set of guns. And listen, everybody at home, it's not the car you drive. It's the size of the arm you hang out the window. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we all know how to, to look like that. The, 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 the details are there. It's the mechanics mentally. Yep that we don't have. I don't have that. I would love to have arms your size. I don't because I, can I make can't. It happen for no, you. you can't because I can't make it happen. I can't commit the time, the energy, the focus, the dedication. Like there's a whole bunch of things that I can't do. And that's part of my, baked into my personality, into most people's personalities. So I caution you, if you're looking at highly successful people that do something at an incredibly high level, it's very difficult to cherry pick certain elements of what they do and incorporate it. Like, because you're saying they're you all tied in together. Yes, yeah, again, Alex Hermosi's arms belong to a person who can work that hard and that focused. Well, Alex Hermosi's original business was starting gyms, so it I, all makes sense. Okay. But when you listen to what he's done, it's like he's done things that are exceptional. I'll give you a perfect example. Yeah. I did a television show with John Bon Jovi, one of my favorite performers of all time. It was a highlight of my life. I had breakfast with John Bon Jovi, just the two of us. When I looked at the calendar, my assistant was like, you got breakfast tomorrow with John. I was like, wait, where are the other people? It's just the two of us. One of the great moments of my life. As we were developing the show, I called him one time to talk about something. He picks up the phone. We're chatting on his cell phone. And I was like, hey, you know, I hear the guitar in the back. And I was like, John, oh man, what are you doing over there? Some cool rock star stuff. And he goes, no, I'm practicing my scales. Okay. This is John Bon Jovi. This is not John Bon Jovi 30 years ago. This is John Bon Jovi four years ago, practicing scales. Wow. And so it's like, you don't know what goes through that effort to become what John was. And this, again, you don't, know, you don't know how difficult it is to get arms the size of Alex Promosi's. <laughs> it's really difficult. And it's like, it's just really difficult. And so he can apply some of those things to business and all that stuff. And I find that people, they... They go too deep into the guru system. They sign up for courses. They sign up to be part of things. And it's like, it, it, what I teach in the school is reasonable probability of success. Does this have a reasonable probability of success? We all know that restaurant that's been 14 different restaurants on the corner that never works. Yep. And yet some other chef or some other person will think, I can do it. It's because they don't understand the reasonable probability of success. When that gets to be too difficult, it makes everything, because success is hard and you got to focus. And if anything is against you, it's like, don't do it. And like I said, so I, like I said, I like Alex. I love his advice. Just be careful because a lot of it, you can't follow because you can't follow it, right? It's no different than him telling you how to get arms, 20 someone inch arms. Like, yes, it in theory works if you're that guy. We have covered so many things. Here. I know. I love this. 
So you know, I end, collect it. You know, I end every conversation talking about gratitude because it's such a big, important part of my life. I wake up every day. I say out loud three things I'm grateful for, and it really at least make me realize I've got I've got some pretty good things. Yeah. What are three things in your life that you're grateful for? I am now. I am very grateful that I started the process of this gratitude journey earlier because I realized how much work it is. So I can now feel, I don't call it gratitude in my sort of thing. I, I call it sort of, I call it a sort of the victory piece, the, the high intensity living, right? Like I feel like I'm going to win today. By the end of the day, I'm going to be like, I won it. I crushed it today. This is amazing, right? And when people ask me, don't you ever take a day off? I was like, yeah, I do. And I crush it. Oh my God. If there was a prize for who lays by the pool for four hours and did nothing, I'd be on the podium. So I'm really thankful that I started that program early. So I was able to do that. Um, it's given me the opportunity. And I, and I learned that phrase. I can't believe this is my blank. I can't believe this is the house I live in. I can't believe that's, that's a great that's, way of phrasing I phrase that. Yeah. All. I can't believe this is my car. I can't yeah. believe this is my wife. I know. I can't believe these are my kids. And you learn people sort of teach the idea that you have to live in that moment. And it's like, no, you can't live in that. You can practice small moments that can become larger moments. And then most of your day can be in there, but you can't do it all at once. So that's, I'm very thankful for that right now. Um, you know, this is standard stuff. I got three amazing kids and I got that whole family thing is, it was pretty spectacular for me. So I'm pretty happy about that. But the other thing I'm really grateful for is just the, the, the future and the relationships that I'm going to I feel like I've unlocked a lot of potential for more joy for myself, for others. And I've learned when we went across the country, we learned how easy it is to impact people's lives positively. You can bring joy to people so, so fast, so easy. It's a text. It's a, it's a kind word. It's something you do for somebody. For, yeah, yeah. We, we did what was called dinner across America where every single night we just went and found some stranger and invited them to come to dinner with us. And I taught my kids about like how, again, how you can just impact people's lives with something so basic as like, hey, can you want to come dinner with us? Tell us your story. Yeah. And so I'm so like, I'm so thankful and grateful. Like I have a year ahead of me to just like explore that at the highest level. What a great way to end ah, this. There we go. Man. Ram Pimpidic. Thank you so much. I, listen, I appreciate it, man. Just nothing to, again, nothing to sell. Just talking. Love it. All right, buddy. Okay, big thank you to Brant for joining us in the studio. Thank you for being with us in the studio as well. Head to Brant's website, brantpinvidic.com, to get a copy of his book, The Three-Minute Rule. And if you're looking for Brant on social media, it's just his name, at Brant Pinvidic. I'm at Chris Van Vliet, and Harold S. Kushner said it best. Do things for people not because of who they are or what they do in return, but because of who you are. Be great. Be grateful. We'll see you on the next one for some more insight.